0: Yeah, those
1: weekends, uh, they go by pretty quick, don't they? Good night. Seems like the weekends just go faster and faster. Vacations are a few and far between. Those go by pretty quick, too. I mean, next thing you know, I'm going to be dead. Yeah, it happens, dead. You know, I was doing fine, and then I got old and died. Isn't that the way of life? That whole circle of life thing that Simba talked about, or was that yeah. Uh... <laughs> all right, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. I am Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Christ, and we dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment here on Fighting for the Faith. The goal of which is to basically take a look at all the things being said in the name of Christianity out there in America today, compare it to the Word of God, and ask the very simple, basic question Is what you're hearing? true biblical christianity now in some cases what you hear is is so-so and some stuff is pretty good and some, some stuff is great and then you got the downright awful and so we on a daily basis kind of pick and choose some we're going to pick from the awful bin we're going to pick from the so-so bin but the goal of all of this stuff is not just to sit here and complain about the stuff that you're hearing that's going on it's to compare it to the word of god so that you can say ah ha that's what the bible really teaches so i mean that's really the goal of the show so we've got a good program lined up for you today and looking forward to diving right into it it's the eve of the uh election of Barack Obama. I mean, by all intents and purposes, if you believe all the polls and what's going on in the media, then Barack Obama's going to be our next president. so today we're going to uh actually i, I I'm not really interested in doing politics You haven't seen any t v since last Tuesday. Well, okay, so this is not going to be a political program. We do theology, we do doctrine, we do biblical discernment here. And so uh, one of the things we're going to do in today's program a little bit later is we're going to take a look at this phenomena where Barack Obama is being touted as some kind of messianic figure and I got to tell you this that one's got me a little bit creeped out I mean I I don't care what your politics are I mean you could be a socialist and listen to fighting for the faith that's fine with me um, but Um, and you can be a capitalist, you can be a raging capitalist, you can be a, a, a a Ronald Reagan economics guy, a Reaganomics guy, and that, and you know what, we, we would probably walk hand in hand down the primrose path together. I care less, though, about politics. I'm not doing Rush Limbaugh kind of stuff work. We're going to compare what he wants to do to the Constitution. We're going to look at how he wants to redistribute wealth. None of that. We're going to look at the theological implications of what's going on. And, um really have been watching this with much um amazement, surprise, shock and a complete creep out feeling. <laughs> it's like <bleh. laughs> where did this come from? So we're going to we're actually going to we're going to take a look at that today. We're going to look at at the uh, and ask answer the question is Barack Obama the Messiah? Is he the Messiah? No, I mean, obviously it's kind of a stupid question. I mean, <laughs> but um, I want you guys to hear some stuff and we're going to do some comparative work in in the Bible today. We'll do some listener email and uh, we're also going to do a news story today uh, about a cult in New Mexico. Apparently the Day of Judgment failed to happen over the weekend as they had anticipated. That's the thing that happens. You know, it, it, folks, if you have a calendar open and you've kind of penciled in the day when you think the Day of Judgment is going to occur, so far, every single person who's done that, every single one, has come up big old goose egg. They, they It didn't happen. Ch- did Chuck Smith do it? Twice. Twice? From Calvary Chapel? All right, folks, if you know anything about Chuck Smith declaring the end of the world and penciling a date in, let me know. I This is news to me. I did not know this about Chuck Smith. How about Chuck L- Missler? Has he learned from Chuck Smith's uh, mistakes? Yeah, you, you don't know, huh? Okay. Anyway, so uh, there was there's a cult in New Mexico and their leader claims to be the Messiah. And, you know, which is kind of bizarre because I thought Obama was, (laughs) you know, and he claimed that, uh, you know, he made a prediction for the Day of Judgment to occur over the weekend, you know, and all of the members of his, uh, you know, of his cult following had penciled the day in and they were all prepared to, you know, for the last and final day to occur over the weekend, and here it is Monday again, they got to go back to work. You know, could you imagine? <laughs> and that's the other thing I don't understand, folks. I'm kind of rambling here at the moment, but it seems like a lot of these doomsday cults, or not just doomsday cults, but even well meaning evangelicals who've played the pin the tail on the day of judgment game, you know, see if they can guess, you know, even though Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour. I mean no one knows no one knows the day or the nobody knows the day or the hour so there's people who've wandered off into that alligator infested territory of setting a date for the end of the world and what always amazes me is that there are people who follow these end of the world guys end up selling their houses quitting their jobs and all that kind of stuff right my question is, is that if the day of judgment is tomorrow, why bother quitting your job or selling your house? Doesn't make any sense, right? Unless, of course, well, then you've got the leader saying that, you know, it's important that the the proceeds from the sale of those houses go into the into the the church coffers. Then, well, that's a different story. That might explain it. So it's, it might be all about the cult leader wanting some money, wanting, you know, Anyway, yeah. So folks, if it's, if you if you are following a leader, a Christian leader who's claiming that he knows when the end of the world is, and uh, he's inviting you to sell your house, quit your job, leave your family, whatever it is that he's asking you to do, uh don't do it. <laughs> just just a a bad thing to do. And uh, in the museum of idolatry, I have a I have a a t shirt from two thousand and seven that said Rapture Ready Two thousand and seven. The problem is you can only wear that shirt for one year, man. <laughs> you know, two thousand and eight rolls around and all of a sudden, you know, well we've got to be rapture ready for two thousand and eight too. Yeah, well see that thing is is that we've been living in the last days since Christ ascended. That literally we've been living in the last days since Jesus Christ ascended. And so it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a year from now. It could be a thousand years from now, folks. We just don't know. But the one thing Jesus said to do was watch. You know, there's certain signs that will, that are like birth pains that kind of precede the, the end of days. And so we Christians are to watch. Okay. So that's what we do. We watch. We don't set dates. We watch. So anyway, we're also going to listen to the first sermon coming out of the hour of power. Now that uh, the younger Robert Schuller, Robert Schuller two, uh, has uh, been asked to step down, and uh, w- just you know, it was a big news story with with the younger Schuller being ousted by the older Schuller. Well, actually, I guess technically it was by the board of directors. You know, and I was talking with my wife about this whole Robert Shuler thing, you know, you know, what was really going on. And the one thing I could tell you is, is that, you know, I've seen the younger Robert Shuler preach a couple of times. And boy, he's just as exciting as watching Mudbubble compared to, you know, men like Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, even Perry Noble and, and Stephen Furtick. I mean. Those guys are far more dynamic and engaging <laughs> than he was. And so now they're heading in an ecumenical direction. You know, the Hour of Power, which has been on the air for 37 years as your television church. Well, it ain't mine. But um, so it, we, we're going to listen to the first, you know, the very, very first sermon out of the shoot from the Hour of Power and just do a little biblical analysis here. All right, without any further ado, what we'll do is we'll dive, jump on over to listener email. We've got uh, plenty of email that came in over the weekend, uh some regarding the new 95 theses, some <laughs> regarding other stuff. Now, John, you missed that show. I
2: did.
1: You know. So, you're you're still stuck on the old 95 theses. Yeah, but I
2: got to go
1: wine tasting. <laughs> <laughs> so you were out of town and you did wine tasting. Yeah, yeah so uh, what what town were you in? Napa. You were in Napa, okay. Did you make it over to uh, Sonoma at all? No, That's a heresy. That's a heresy. Oh man, uh, folks! If you're listening from Sonoma, I apologize. John means well. Yeah, I,
0: I know in Sonoma. They say they make auto parts in Napa.
1: <laughs> he said that uh, in in Sonoma, California, that they actually say that they make auto parts in Napa. That's a good joke. That's a great joke. You know, see, now I I actually learned how to taste wines from the mayor of Sonoma. Oh. This is you know, and so I'm not a wine snob. Okay, that I I really am not. I enjoy a good wine and and thanks to the mayor of Sonoma I learned how to do this. Now, we were on a on a management retreat a few years ago and one of my employees had scheduled a wine tasting tour for us and it just so happened that the guy who was you know doing the tour was the mayor of Sonoma. And so he gave us the Cooks tour of Sonoma and just I it was probably one of the most fascinating things I've ever been on, and what was hilarious is is that he kind of dialed me in pretty quick. He said, "Oh, you're a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> you're a nerd. Have I got a winery for you? <laughs> and so he actually took me to a winery that uh, is um, founded by a guy who you know who was a, 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 like a rocket scientist, a nuclear physicist, and he had grown up on a on a vineyard in Australia. And came to the United States and was teaching at, like, the University of Chicago, did that for about 12 years and just wanted to get back to the earth. And so he started a winery in uh, Sonoma called Luxton, L-O-X-T-O-N. And that, their are Harvest Zinfandel is to die for. But, of course, you know, when we get in there, you know, me and Chris Luxton hit it off like, you know, two peas in a pod, and we begin ner- going into nerd speak. You know, and of course, my employees at that point begin, you can see the eyeballs rolling back in their head and them going, oh, Chris, can we leave yet? You know, it's getting dark outside. But no, that was a fascinating thing. So I, I I got my first real introduction and, you know, instruction on wines from the mayor of Sonoma. So isn't that just a great story? Gives you all warm and fuzzy inside. And then you went to Napa. <laughs> All right. Well, let's dive on over to the listener email. All right, um, we got actually we got some pretty good listener email. Um, if you remember on Friday, I I uh, did a conversation with the Reverend Bill Swirla, and we were talking about the new 95 Theses. And in the middle of that particular uh, interview. Uh, Pastor Swirla was asking the question about rock and roll and we, you know, modern worship and rock and roll. And he basically asked the question, "Is it my dirty mind, or does it seem like there's kind of a sexual element to um, to uh, rock and roll?" And I told him, I said, "You know, I actually don't think that's your dirty mind. I think there's something sensual about rock and roll to begin with." And so Walker Willis writes me uh, and he basically and he's in Champaign, Illinois. He says, uh, "Hey Chris, I enjoyed your conversation with the Reverend Swirla on Friday, and when you mentioned the effect of rock and roll on Christian worship, I remembered a random clip from American Idol a couple of years ago. This was the own uh, this was one of the only two times I've ever watched the show." Yeah, right, Walker. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> And he says, and, and so my turning on the TV that night must have been a leading of the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I like the logic there. It was the leading of the Holy Spirit. He says, okay, enough tongue in cheek. Here's the video. He gives me a link for a video. And the video itself is uh, is a video of a worship leader who auditioned on American Idol. And uh, it just so happened that they had a guest judge that day, uh, G- Gene Simmons. <laughs> from Kiss, okay, and so uh, what we're going to do here is is that uh, this this kid actually put it on GodTube because you know he, he, he so he's got his own GodTube thing, and so this is his audition on American Idol uh, in front of Simon and and uh, and the gang as well as Gene Simmons from Kiss. And I thought this the, the, actually Walker, this was a great, brilliant little piece here. And let's listen to what Gene Simmons says about his audition
0: you chilling you ready for this i'm ready all right so what are you
2: going to sing man in the still of the night it's one of simon's favorites let's hear that
1: in the still of the night
0: i held you i held you tight oh i love
1: love you so Promise
0: I'll never let you go in the steel of the night. Okay, nice. Thank you. Uh Gene, what do you think, man?
3: I think you're a country artist, and I'll tell you why. If you sing pop lyrics, you're gonna have a problem with your ministry. Mm-hmm. Because rock and roll by definition and popular music is about sexuality.
2: And that's and a demons.
3: Big, And demons.
2: (laughs) And that's a big word like... long tongues.
1: (laughs) All right. So there's Gene Simmons. Basically, this uh, this guy's name is Jeff Johnson. This was from American Idol Season 4. And he's basically claiming this kid's going to have a problem if he wants to sing pop because uh, rock and roll and pop music is about sex. I think that's interesting. And you know... I think Gene Simmons would count as an authority on the matter, don't you? No, a thing or two. Yeah, no, it's a thing or two, right? You know, uh, Dr. Rosenblatt, j- tongue in cheek, one time in, in one of the classes I attended, basically, you know, in describing the children of Israel in their revelry, you know, uh, at the base of Mount Sinai while Moses is up on the on the mountain receiving from God the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, there's the sound of war in the camp. Well, it turns out there's revelry going on, and there was a golden calf, and there was what's going on. And his comment was, is that sex, drugs, and rock and roll was what was happening down in the camp down there. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, this is something that's got to be kind of fleshed out. One of the reasons why I don't exactly think that rock and roll music is a good carrier for Christian messages is precisely because culturally there is a sexual connotation with this stuff. And so when... When somebody's singing a love song to Jesus in a rock and roll ballad, you know, it I, I personally I get creeped out by it because I have visions of me French kissing a bearded guy and it's just not right. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> I don't I don't worship the bearded woman anyway and, and and I don't love him that way. So yeah, I I think Gene Simmons is on to something. Thank you Walker for that link. I thought that was uh, that was really Really good. Uh, James writes, he says, I assume you already have this one, not having yet finished the program. And he was talking about the fighting for the faith where we talked about uh, Heresy Barbie's latest book, uh, Love Your Life. He says, but I have to bring up John chapter 12, verse 25. It says, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Even though it's only a single verse, it's not proof texted. So I won't, But it, and I'm not going to comment on it. <laughs> You know, James, that is not really a proof text. That's really coming back to the things that Jesus Christ talked about. And uh, in this day and age, we're told to think positive thoughts, to not dwell on our sin because that's negative, to love our life, to have faith that God is going to give us an abundant life, even though that passage is taken out of context. And the focus is on me, 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 and what I can get from God. You know, God becomes a means to an end. God is basically there, t- and he exists for my happiness. In that particular scheme, God is made the servant, and you are made God. You are still the idol of your life. And that's the problem with the whole approach. So uh, that, w- that was a great point. Now, Andrew writes me, and he, he can Now, folks, we didn't do this on Reformation do- days, but... He had some great ideas for some fun and games for Reformation Day, and I didn't read this on Reformation Day because, of course, my interview with Pastor Swirla was very serious. Yeah, <laughs> but these are games definitely worth playing on Reformation Day, especially if you're a Lutheran. So let's see if any of you guys played these games. Let me know. We got the pin the theses on the door game. Yeah, so hammers nails doctrinal disagreements have never been so much fun. Don't forget the blindfold. All right, the uh, flammable flammable, now that's an interesting little word it says how many papal edicts can you burn in 30 seconds (laughs) the papal goon squad hide and seek ready or not, here they come oh that's terrible the wild burrito eating contest how many pork burritos can you eat in a a sitting winner gets to repent of his gluttony (laughs) How about this one? I think this one definitely should be at every Oktoberfest, you know, that Lutherans, you know, hold in, in you know, for Reformation Day. It's the Wack a tetzel game. An invigorating twist on the on the carnival favorite. And then in Jeopardy, uh, correctly answer, ex, uh, Xtrebeck's, <laughs> Extrabeck. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, questions and win a, a, a John Huss vacation package yeah they burned us at the stake the overindulgence game this is saint peter's uh, charity fish fry eating contest Uh uh-huh and then the diet of worms (laughs) pronounced verms after (laughs) after two eating contests we need a diet first to lose 25 pounds while eating only dirt worms (laughs) wins oh man that was clever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we played all of these on Reformation Day. You should have been in my house. We had, you know, a house full of kids. We were doing the Wacka Tetzel. I'm glad I wasn't. <laughs> John was glad he wasn't there.
3: Oh man.
1: Okay, let's let's move along here. Let's move along, move along. All right, let's see. We got we got we got vintage news today. So we we've definitely got to play the news music. Here we go. Moving along to the news. Boy, we've got an interesting spot here. Life goes on for New Mexico cult followers. And all of you should say, aww, how sad. Uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. After Judgment Day f- failed to arrive as expected this weekend, members of a northeastern New Mexico cult are left to ponder what quest- uh, one question. Well, what now? <laughs> pick a new day. Pick a new, pick a new day and yeah. Try again. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Of course, you know, they do say that the uh, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. So maybe that's not the right way to go. So here we go. The story continues. Members of the Lord Lord Our Righteousness Church near Des Moines believed that they would escape their earthly bondage and ascend to heaven on Friday night. Their once active website came down and a church representative sent the journal an email saying he didn't anticipate having any more contact with the media. <laughs> ah, stick your head in the sand and act like you didn't predict the end of the world. But as a small crowd of people and a TV crew, news crew, looked on from the gate to the windswept compound, Night, midnight came and then midnight went. They <laughs> quote: They were looking for deliverance from God. But Sarah Montoya, an attorney from the church, church's leader, Wayne Bent. Wayne Bent is the guy who claims to be the Messiah. Montoya spoke with Bent's son, Jeff, on Saturday. Basically, he said, they're disappointed, but they understand that life goes on. Hmm. By the way, folks, um, that kind of throws into question whether or not Wayne Bent is really the Messiah. You know, that's one of the things. If God is speaking to you and has definitively said that he's going to arrive on a particular day and God doesn't show up, that kind of casts the whole thing into question as to whether or not God actually said that in the first place, right? I mean, according to the Old Testament standard, if somebody claims to be a prophet and they predict that something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, you know, and this can be established on the testimony of two or more witnesses, You know, in a court of law, so to speak, then, and that person was found guilty of predicting something prophetically and it didn't come to pass. The punishment for that was to take that person outside of the city gates and throw rocks at them until they stopped breathing and moving and basically assume the corpse position. So, um, and that was the way God protected people from false prophets. It was a pretty heavy thing. Why? Because there's something worse than being killed, and that's having your soul thrown into hell. All right, so continuing with the story here, what that means for the uh, for the time being is that Vent's forty five adult followers at the Strong City compound have ended a two week fast in which they had also stopped drinking water last weekend. Well, thank the Lord they can get to drink something. See, I don't understand that. If God, if you have a definitive date, I mean, why would you want to go on a fast? You know, why would you want to do that? I don't get it. So, I mean, I, I you'd think you'd want to party it up, you know, kill the fatted calf, let's party. Now, these guys wanted to stop eating altogether, and they stopped drinking too, which doesn't make any sense, it's not exactly wise. But of course, it sure sounds pious, you know. See, I would do the exact opposite of piety. If Jesus were coming back, and I knew he was coming back in a week, man, we'd have a big soiree at my house. You know, <laughs> the wine would be flowing, you know, things like that. This says much about Chris, and I'm sorry that it does. Anyway, we continue. Uh, Okay, so uh, the the fast was launched in protest of criminal charges that Bent had illegal sexual contact with underage girls. What is it with those cult leaders and underage women? Montoya said Jeff Bent was surprised by how weak the fast had left some members, and they're going back on food and water slowly, she said, and a nurse is in the compound. The church members believe Friday night ended their year of jubilee with a deliverance by God from their earthly life. Uh, apparently that didn't happen. So Bent, who considers himself the Messiah, was arrested Wednesday after a judge issued a bench warrant when Bent failed to appear at a court hearing. Montoya said she had not talked to Bent and does not know if he's still fasting. Gosh, this is just tragic. Yeah. You know, that anyone would actually believe somebody and you know who who's making up absurd claims like this and, and fall for this kind of stuff is just really really tragic the moral of the story again folks is is that uh anyone predicting the end of the world it doesn't know what they're talking about as soon as somebody sets a date it's time for you to leave don't stick around because bad things is gonna happen i don't know maybe i'm just being closed-minded you, th- you think that's possible no, no? all right so, i just just check just checking so there it is. Life goes on, even though Judgment Day didn't happen on Friday, as anticipated. So what we're going to do now, we're going to switch gears and we're going to start to, to delve into our topic of Barack Obama, the Messiah. Okay. Now, what I've done, if you go to the Museum of Idolatry, just so you know, I'm the curator of the Museum of Idolatry, and the Museum of Idolatry can be found at a little www.alittleleaven.com. I've got two exhibits up there right now um, regarding asking the question Is Barack Obama the Messiah? Now, it's kind of a preposterous question, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not interested in politics at this point. This is not the issue. The issue is, is that if you really take a look at what's going on in the media, there is this undercurrent on the media coverage regarding Barack Obama that always has these religious overtones to it undertones overtones it's not even subtle at times you know i you know was surfing the web and i came across a picture of Barack Obama that's kind of silhouetted and in the background of the silhouette is is the is the sun hitting this canvas and it's making the sign of the cross i'm thinking you've got to be kidding me right you know but uh, but then I started searching around the internet and I found more evidence of this particular trend. In fact, so much so that it's probably going to take about four or five exhibits in the Museum of Idolatry Did you t- on toast? To, to to yeah. Hey, hey, has anyone seen Barack Obama appear on a on a on a piece of toast next to the Virgin Mary? If you have. You know, let me know because I'll sell it for you on eBay for you know, because I, I, I can market that thing. We can get we can get some good money here. Barack Obama on a slice of toast next to the Virgin Mary—that would be something. I should make something like that. I could do a little Photoshop work, right? <laughs> and then, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Sit there with a big lighter and just kind of toast up just the right pieces. Oh, John, that's evil. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so I found on the Barack Obama website, uh, they have sub-blogs from people who who are blogging on on Barack Obama's website, and uh, Tori M., on her blog, had a picture of uh, somebody who had graffitied onto a a, a wall the words, Obama is God. Obama is God. Okay, that's a little disturbing. So we got we got Obama with the cross behind him silhouetted. We got Obama is God. But then this comes in from Jamaica, man. Okay, apparently around the world, man, people are excited about Obama. You know, if Obama doesn't become president tomorrow, then people around the world, I think, are going to riot. Possibly. Possibly. So uh, let let me play for you some audio here. From this reggae song, and see if you can figure out what the lyrics are inspired by. Um, the I don't want to tell you the name because it'll give it away. Here we go. Kenya. I, have, I a have a dream.
0: I have a I dream that won the this nation, the voters in America, Barack Obama, be thy name. Shall come, thy will be done as it is in America. Them missing again, over oh, the
1: voters on America. Obama be thy name. Obama be thy name. Oh, the voters in America. Obama be thy name. His will be done. Obama's will be done. Um, wow. Taking the Lord's Prayer, sticking it to a little reggae guru going on there, and saying, Obama, be thy name. Folks, that crosses the line. And here's the deal. Okay, forget about politics and political parties for a moment. Think biblically. Regardless of what one of you might think about Obama's plans and ideas for the United States, there's something about his campaign that should make every one of us, this kind of stuff, should make every Christian stop and take sober notice. And it's an undeniable fact that Obama here is being portrayed as a messianic leader and a God-king. We've got a serious problem. It's one thing when a charismatic leader is running for political office. It's a completely different thing when someone has messianic delusions. Is Barack Obama running for Messiah, or is he running for president of the United States? I don't have a problem if a socialist runs for the president of the United States. They won't get very far. But I do have a problem when someone's running for the, for the office of Messiah. That's a whole other ball of wax. That's something completely different. Or, as they like to say, a horse of a different color. And no racial things meant by that at all. But it is a horse of a different color. There's something wrong, something seriously wrong, when you've got somebody who's taking on religious overtones like this. Well, we're going to take our first break, and when we come back, we're going to continue exploring this topic, because it's a very interesting one. So... If you would like to email me and let me know why you think that Barack Obama is actually the Messiah, and Obama be his name and he's God, and that his will should be done on earth as it is in heaven, email me, talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back.
4: Hi, I'm Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are hand-picked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com.
1: All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and I am Chris Rosebro. Before we get to the Obama thing, I... Y'all know who uh, Evan Gagline is? Brian Wolfmuller. I got a I got an email from uh, Evan Gagline from uh, the the um, the Table Talk Radio program, and they want me to do some uh, some liners for him, and they're hilarious. If you guys don't listen to uh, Wolfmuller's Show Table Talk Radio, strongly recommended. It. It's a good show. It's a good. <laughs> they do. They do uh, Christian instruction and catechesis, and many times they do it in the form of doing li- different games, and so it's like a game show type of format. And so uh, Evan Gagline, who is the co-host of the uh, of that particular uh, program, sent me an email asking me if I would do some liners for him. And uh, you know what a liner is, right? You don't know what a liner. So when we're coming out of a when we're coming out of a uh, uh, a break or we're coming out of the show and we're going into a break and it says unless your righteousness surpasses that of rick warren you cannot be saved you're listening to uh, fighting for the faith that's a liner and so uh <laughs> so this kid cracks me up i think he's hilarious and wolf Mueller, absolutely anytime i call wolf Mueller on the phone and we're talking i can't breathe that guy makes me laugh so hard and so <laughs> And so he said, here's the email I got from Evan. It said, hey, Chris, next time you're in the studio, would you mind recording these liners and emailing them to me? And I read them, and I was cracking up. It, so l- l- let's try some of this out. <clears throat> this is a liner for uh, Table Talk Radio. So, uh, d- uh, Evan, do you have your recording device re- recording at the moment? If not, I, I have mine. Here we go. <clears throat> do my professional announcer voice. This is Chris Roseborough, host of Fighting for the Faith. Table Talk Radio is my favorite Lutheran theological game show recorded in Evan Gagline's dorm room. Yeah, he's a seminarian. I think he's at four. Wait. So so Table Talk Radio is my favorite Lutheran theological game show, which is recorded in Evan Gagline's dorm room. Okay. Uh, this is Chris Roseborough, host of Fighting for the Faith. Even though emergent church pastors would rather state an objective truth and listen to it, you're listening to Table Talk Radio. <laughs> now, the best one is the last one. It says, this is Chris Roseborough, CEO of Pirate Christian Radio. Table Talk Radio is Pirate Christian Radio's top radio program right after Issues, Etc., Fighting for the Faith, Sermons from Holy Trinity, The God Whispers, The Gift, Radical Grace, SoCo, Higher Things, The Feast, Dying to Live, Living Water, and Words of Hope, and then reruns of the White Horse Inn. So it's right up there near the top. It is. Tune in to Table Talk Radio.
2: <laughs> i got to mention. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <It> cr- <laughs> that kind of humor just kills me. Anyway, uh, Evan, I'll, I'll cut... <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut those up and make sure that you get get those oh man that's hilarious okay we're back to our topic here we're asking the question is Barack Obama the messiah okay and so far you know like I said I could care less about the, poli- the political piece of this at this point that's not really important what creeps me out is that it looks like according to some people Barack Obama's not running for the president of the United States he's running for messiah okay okay And uh, and so you know we played we played a snippet. Let's listen a little bit more of this uh, this the this song from Jamaica man. So because this this again is kind of creepy. I have a dream. I have a dream.
0: I have a dream dream that one 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 the this All the voters in America, Barack Obama be thy name. The change shall come, thy will be done, as it is in American dream. Sing again, all the voters on America, Obama be thy name. The change shall come, thy will be done, as it is in American dream. It is Obama for the White House, all the way from Illinois. Washington DC, open your doors for Barack. Barack Obama for a change in America. It is a change in Africa, Australia, Asia, Europe, South America. Barack Obama, it is Obama in Florida, all the way to Chicago, New York City, Hollywood, New Jersey, Texas. Barack Obama, from California to New Mexico, New Orleans to Hawaii, Alaska, Arizona to Miami, all over America, Barack Obama, and if you're footing for the real change, Barack Obama be the right man, whether you're black or white, you're young or old, Barack. Barack Obama, whether you're black or white, you're young or
1: Obama. All right, I think you kind of get the message there. Uh the, the, the main line there is Obama be thy name, thy change shall come, thy will be done. Definitely taken from the Lord's prayer. Now, here's the deal, folks. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there, conspiracy theorists and others, who were basically saying Barack Obama is actually a Muslim. And didn't he make that slip up on that one news program where he said his Muslim faith see, see, see that 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 proves he's a Muslim. Uh folks, I mean you're gonna have it's gonna be hard for you to prove that Barack Obama is a Muslim, and who cares? It looks like he's running for Messiah. (laughs) Okay? Um here's um this is wild stuff. This is from a website called manifestobama.com. And this is actually taken from a hymn you're going to, there's people are going to be basically talking about envisioning Barack Obama as the next president and in the background music is a hymn that's been kind of tweaked uh, listen to this one let's
0: see here president, president barack, barack, obama. Barack, obama. barack obama love prepare me hey, to be president, president obama pure To be a sanctuary, President Barack Obama. Pure and holy, tried and true. President Barack
1: Obama. Now that's just a weird combination. I thought Barack Obama believed in the separation of church and state. Apparently he doesn't believe in the separation of that as long as he's considered the church. Um <clears throat> the the hymn there is called Sanctuary. Let me read these these words to you. It's Lord prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Were they singing to the Lord Obama? Why would you take a hymn like this and mix it with Barama politics, Barack Obama politics? That doesn't make any sense. Um th- this is from the Manifest Obama website. Um listen to this. These are this is taken from their website. Um between now and November 4th, let's spend one minute a day envisioning Barack Obama as our president. Prepare your heart to fill with hope. Prepare your mind to embrace the change. Envision Barack victorious on election night. Taking the oath of office on Inauguration Day, believe that this great moment in American history is already a reality. Say the words to yourself, to your family, to your friends, and to your neighbors. Say it to the world Your vision is a sacred trust. You are a sanctuary of a sacred vision for a renewed America. Envision it. Say it. Feel it. Believe it. Make it our reality. Manifest Obama. America. Ooh? Creep me out? Again, I'm not studying the politics of this stuff. This is purely the religious angle. I mean... So we're supposed to engage in some kind of mental visioning, kind of like prayer, and make it happen, and our vision is supposedly a, quote, sacred trust, and we are a sanctuary of a sacred vision. Sacred. you catch the religion talk in there? So what Barack Obama is doing is a sacred thing? Isn't sacred things reserved to the holy and to the divine? <laughs> now, <clears throat> folks, this is an interesting one, too. Um, are you familiar with the fact that uh, Jesus Christ, one of the titles for Jesus Christ is the Alpha and Omega? you familiar with that? Let me, um, let me read this to you. This is from Revelation chapter 1. Jesus speaking, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty, okay? Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and the beginning and the end. That's Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. So according to scripture, who is the Alpha and the Omega? Jesus Christ. Who is God in human flesh? Well, here's from the Urban Community Leadership Academy of Kansas, Missouri. We've got these kids doing this little march, and in case you can't, hear, you don't understand what they're saying. Um, this they're, at the beginning of this little march, they're talking about the Alpha and the Omega. Do you think they're referring to Jesus Christ? If you do, you're wrong. They're referring to Barack Obama. Let's hear this. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Alpha
0: Omega. Alpha Omega. Alpha Omega. Alpha Omega. Alpha Omega. Alpha, Omega. Alpha. Omega.
1: Alpha, omega. That's a uh, alpha, omega, that's what you're hearing. Alpha, omega, alpha, omega. Alpha, omega, alpha. Omega, alpha, omega. Alpha, omega, alpha. Omega,
0: alpha.
1: Because of Obama, I'm ascribed to be the next doctor.
0: Because of Obama, I'm to be the next doctor.
1: Because of Obama, I'm ascribed to be the next lawyer. Because of Obama, I'm to be the next lawyer.
0: Because of Obama, I'm inspired to be the next automotive technician.
1: Because of Obama, I'm going to be an automotive technician. Just doing a little translating here. Because
0: of Obama, I'm inspired to be the next chef.
1: I have no idea what he's saying.
0: Because of Obama, I'm inspired to be the next architect. Because of Obama,
1: I'm going to be an architect. So these kids come marching in saying, Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega. This creeps me out much more than any angle about Barack being a Muslim. I have a problem when a political leader has become a god king. That was one of the problems with the Caesars. You remember the Caesars? They were supposed to be divine god, you know, divine emperors, right? They were partly gods. God kings are really really dangerous beings. Really dangerous. They have this proclivity to oppress people and demand their way because they're divine but the thing that really is upsetting here is is that we have Christian hymns titles for Christ the Lord's Prayer all being applied to Barack Obama hello hello Is anybody home? Does anyone have a problem with this? Because I sure do. Now, let me give you an example. Barack Obama claims that he's a Christian. I can't tell if he is or not. I just don't know. Okay, we can take him at his word. But can anyone point me to a place where Barack Obama has clearly and publicly said to these people who are making him out to be a Messiah to knock it off? Now, I'm not saying he hasn't done it. I will say this, I've hunted for it, and I can't find it. Now, let's read in Scripture here, where the Apostle Paul, on one of his missionary journeys, had the unfortunate thing happen to him where the people in the city of Lystra actually thought that he was a deity. Okay? And let's see what Paul did. Just, I mean, makes perfect sense, doesn't it? All right, so now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. This is Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 8. So this crippled man listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said to him in a loud voice, Stand upright and on your feet. And he sprang up, and he began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices in the Lyconian language, saying, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker, which is kind of funny. That's actually a mythological joke there. It's kind of fun. Anyway, so here we've got this problem. Paul performs a miracle in the name of Jesus Christ. And immediately the people in the town think that the, the Greek gods have come down from Mount Olympus to men. They think Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is the god Hermes. Now, folks, regardless of what you saw happen on the Star Wars movies where C-3PO had the little Ewok creatures worshipping him, the Christian response to such behavior, you do not repeat do not allow yourself to be worshipped scripture is clear you worship the Lord your God and you serve him only right thou shalt have no other gods before me so for a Christian to receive worship as if he was a god unseats God from his righteous place where he belongs and that exalts you to the point of godhood which, by the way, regardless of which insane asylum you may be attending or living in, you are not a deity. You are a creature. So Paul, knowing the commandments, knowing that there is only one God, and he's not about to allow himself to receive worship, says, All right. All right. So, okay. Let me. Actually, I, I got ahead of myself. Let me continue. It says, uh, let's see, and the priests. Okay. So so. Okay. And verse thirteen. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, wanting to, uh, to offer sacrifices to the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, "Men, why are you doing these things?" We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he, that's God, allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with good and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. Christian response. The Christian response to anybody who would dare to worship another human being is, No! Do not worship me. I am not God. Christ is. Worship him. Right? Why isn't Obama putting an end to this? I mean, he claims to be a Christian. He has a moral right, a moral duty, a moral duty to the one he claims to be his Lord to put an end to this Messiah nonsense. And he's not. It's pretty expedient for him to keep, keep it going. Let me see if I can find some other passages here. There's an example where somebody tried to worship Peter, too. Let me find it here. <clears throat> Just. <laughs> Mm-hmm. oh i'll have to look at it up, uh, look it up later there's other examples in the scripture where somebody tried to worship peter you told him not to do it there's an example where the apostle john in the book of revelation falls at the feet of an angel and an angel tells him to get up and not to worship the angel okay over and over again the scriptures are clear that is not what we are to do and yet we have Children singing songs to Obama as if he's a messiah. Um, this is, I mean, absolutely crazy stuff that is going on. There's photographs of Obama with a halo behind him. I've got a photograph up at a littleleaven.com where Obama is reaching out his hand and there's a light like coming out of his hand like he's going to heal somebody with it. And then you've got all these other pictures of Obama where in the background it says believe in Obama. Believe in Obama. Um we got a problem. Yeah <laughs> Oh, by the way, I found the passage in Revelation where John falls at the feet of the of the angel. It's Revelation chapter twenty two, starting at verse eight says this i john am the one who heard and saw these things and when i heard and saw them i fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me but he the angel said to me you must not do that i am your fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and those who keep the words of this book worship god worship god well we've got a problem we have a political leader who claims that he's a Christian receiving basically because he's not telling people to stop this Obama Messiah nonsense he's tacitly refu- re- receiving worship as if he's the Messiah tacit by the way wonderful word T-A-C-I-T it means silent approval it's a silent so if you re- if you do something tacitly, you do it quietly. You've heard of sins of omission and commission. This is a tacit sin on his part. By not putting an end to and fi- silencing these people and the media and saying, quit this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, as a Christian believer, if I were running for the office of president of the United States, which, by the way, is highly unlikely to ever happen, <laughs> Roseboro ain't electable. Okay, If I were running for President of the United States and the media were treating me like I were the Messiah, I would, out of Christian conscience, knowing that my Lord is greater than any office held by any person in any country, would basically have to say, stop that nonsense immediately. Jesus Christ is to be worshipped, not Chris Rosebro. This is where it crosses the line from politics into idolatry where it crosses the line from being something that's a debate between two political parties to something that's completely different. Because somebody who exalts himself above the one whom Scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, I want you to think about that for a second. That's Philippians chapter 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means Barack Obama, too. It means Caesar. It means Nero. It means (laughs) Stalin, Lenin, Marx, Richard Dawkins. Chris Rosebro will one day bend the knee in unison with all of humanity, heaven on earth, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you have somebody who's a political leader whose followers are treating him like the Messiah and attributing to him names that are reserved to Christ, we Christians should be in an outrage. That's where we should draw the line and say, absolutely not. This touches on things that should not be touched on. Barack Obama is not the Messiah. He's not the Savior, and he's not the hope for the whole world. He's a man, and he's got political ideas, and he's just as flawed and screwed up as I am and as you are. To exalt him in a way that puts him above the name of names, is not only wrong, it's idolatrous, dangerous, and sets a bad precedent. I mean I, I, I even in all of the ecstasy that the media had over Bill Clinton, I've never seen anything like this. Obama be thy name. yeah, right. anyway. That's enough of my little rant on Obama. We're going to take a second break here. And when we come back. We're going to listen to the very, 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 very first sermon coming out of uh, the Hour of Power from Robert Schuller's organization, um, the Crystal Cathedral, after the ouster of Robert Schuller two. So um, if you would like to email me, uh, you can do so. You can email me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at com. Let me know if uh, you think that Barack Obama is the Messiah. I mean, is he going to perform miracles next? Is he God in human flesh? It's tongue-in-cheek, but it's deadly serious. We will be right back.
3: If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
4: My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus flock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at newreformationpress.com, or the big picture audio presentation, Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well newreformationpress.com finally reformation theology made accessible
1: Even the Apostle Peter wouldn't accept worship from another man. Clear passages here. Acts chapter 10. Remember Jesus went to the house of Cornelius, who was a uh, God-fearing Gentile. It says this, uh, Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 23. The next day Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter, of course, said, that's fine. OK, kiss the ring because I'm the pope. (laughs) No, he didn't say anything like that. It says, and uh, but Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I, too, am a man. And he talked with him and went on and, found, and went on in and found many persons gathered. So here we go. So we got John accidentally worshiping an angel, and that didn't go over so well. The angel told him to get up. You got the apostle Paul and Barnabas being worshiped as if they're gods and them correcting people to the point where they almost lost their lives because there was a riot that ensued. And you got the apostle Peter uh, who somebody tried to worship him, and, and that didn't happen the christian response to anybody who would dare to worship another human being especially one who claims to be a christian is don't you dare do it i don't see barack obama bending anything here as far as you know doing anything to clear this whole messianic garbage up and by not clearing it up he's tacitly accepting worship as if he's god i have a big Big, big problem with that, and you know what? So does God. Anyway, we're gonna move along here. We'll do something a little bit more positive, you know, because you know, Christianity is all about being positive, right? Uh, all right. So we've got <laughs> this is the very, 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 very first um hour of power without Robert Schuller the second in place and uh i i I just i want you all to experience this the name of this is called storm stopping faith storm stopping faith and uh definitely worth the listen and it just we'll, we'll comment as we go it's worth the listen here we go and so it's gonna take a second here we here we go the hour of power in high definition we're available
3: From the Crystal Cathedral in Garden Grove, California, join Robert Schuller in An Hour of Power, America's Television Church, now celebrating our 37th year as the face and voice of positive Christianity to the world.
1: The face and voice of positive Christianity to the world. Uh, Folks, just got a question. When did the word positive become a modifier of the word Christian? Just, you know, well, maybe 37 years ago, huh? Uh, huh. America's Television Church. I thought Joel Osteen's church was America's Television Church. Hi, y'all. I'm Joel Osteen. We want you to be a victor and not a victim. Anyway, we continue with the Hour of Power. For one of our first
3: guest preachers.
1: You know, he looks like he's about to fall over dead and die like any second. His The energy he has, I mean, it literally looks like somebody propped Robert Shuler up. I've
3: invited Walt Colstead. Now, Walt has been a friend of mine for many, many years. He went through our Institute for Successful Church Leadership. Found- so
1: did Bill Hybels and Rick Warren.
3: The pastor of probably the biggest or surely one of the greatest Lutheran churches in the world. I and doubt Walt that. is a member of my board of directors. When you hear some,
1: so he's he's introducing Walt Calisted, senior pastor of a church called the Church of Joy, which is an ELCA church. That's Evangelical uh, Lutheran Church in America. M- many, many, many evangel- ELCA churches are very liberal. You know, there's a good confessional resistance movement among congregations in the ELCA, but with a church by the name of the Church of Joy and with somebody like Robert Schuler singing your praises, <laughs> uh, not not a lot of hope here for poor old Walt. We continue. Decisions being made
3: and things are changed. We think there are always good changes or we wouldn't have prayed our way through to the end. And Walt Colstead stands among the highest in the ministries of America in my heart and soul. And Walt, I want to thank you for coming here to deliver the message to serve on our board of directors, all totally free.
2: Thank you. you. Thank you.
1: Now, that's Walt receiving a warm welcome from those sitting in the Crystal Cathedral pew-like chairs. They're not really pews anymore. They're they're theater seating that looks like pews.
2: I want to talk about storm-stopping faith and you saying about it.
1: Okay, just got to stop right there. He's going to talk about storm-stopping faith. How many storms did the apostles stop? You remember the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, Luke writes that account of this trip, you know, from Judea to uh, to Rome, right? And they were at, they were in a storm that lasted for two weeks. Paul apparently didn't have any storm stopping faith. <clears throat> <You know. laughs> that's a great passage of scripture, by the way. You know this this terrible storm that takes place, and at the end of it, they run aground. I think in Malta. And this is, I'm doing this from memory, and no one and it ends up that no one loses their life. But it was it was a harrowing experience that lasted for two weeks. Did the Apostle Paul have storm-stopping faith? Can you think of any storms that Peter quieted? How about Thomas, James, Bartholomew, Matthew? any of those guys no already the 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 name of this has got a problem storm stopping faith in scripture the one who stopped the storms was jesus did jesus have faith yeah he was god in human flesh so he had faith in himself he had high self-esteem
2: i see how this all works okay we continue I want to talk about life giving hope and also world changing love. As a member of the International Board, I, I am, I have to tell you, I am so humbled to be able to speak to you. Uh, we have been through some days where we have cried together, we've spent time praying together, we've spent time with some of the leadership walking around campus, crying out to God, uh, trusting that God isn't scratching his head, wondering, well, you know, now what am I going to do? Uh, there are some big challenges ahead. I have no idea what to do, but God does know what to do. God is in control. Great.
1: my hope for you is with with these new changes that are coming to the Crystal Cathedral, my hope is that the Crystal Cathedral would actually actually read from the book. You know, the parts about those thorny little things called sins. You ever heard of them? You know, sins and repentance. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. But he's talking about storm-stopping faith and hope-giving love and some other bizarre platitude. Let's continue.
2: Our Heavenly Father told us it wasn't going to be easy. He said it would be worth it. Where does Jesus say that?
1: He doesn't tell us it's going to be easy. He tells us it's going to be worth it. Is that from the message paraphrase?
2: And during these times of transition, I express to you how encouraged I am when the churches around the world are so divided, they're so fractured, there is not unity in the body of Christ, and that breaks God's heart. Right. And for- uh,
1: well, there's a reason why there's no unity in the body of Christ right now, and that's because Christians will not let God's Word govern their doctrine. They will not listen to God's Word, and they choose to only focus on the positive sides of things rather than the, the positive and the negative, the law and the gospel. There's people who are teaching false doctrine. Keep it in mind. It is those who teach false doctrine who are the ones who are dividing God's church, not the ones who are staying steadfast to the word and refusing to be duped by the latest fad teaching coming down the pike. So, yeah, it breaks God's heart that there's no unity in the body of Christ. But if we're going to unite, what are we going to unite around? How can I unite with you, Walt, when uh, the Crystal Cathedral teaches heresy?
2: This ministry for our power in the Crystal Cathedral to step forward and say we are going to bring unity in the body of Christ. We are going to pray for it. We're going to open up our hearts, open up our lives, and open up our campus in order that that can transpire. I am so encouraged, and that message is a positive message to the whole world.
1: So apparently the uh, Crystal Cathedral and the Hour of Power, they're going to open themselves up to the work of God so that God can bring unity to the body of Christ again through them. Walt, tell you what, I'll unite with the Hour of Power and with the Crystal Cathedral, And we'll gladly extend the right hand of fellowship when you guys teach repentance, the forgiveness of sins won by Christ. You actually preach the full counsel of the word of God. That includes that we are dirty, rotten sinners by nature in need of a savior and that our salvation was won by Jesus Christ, bloody death on the cross for sinners. Repent and believe the gospel. I will unite with you, Walt, when you do that.
2: I want you to know what we prayed. In one of our prayer sessions, here's what we prayed. We prayed in Ephesians 4, where God's Word tells us, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. This is God's
1: good news. Uh, no. That's not God's good news. God's good news, a.k.a. the gospel, which, by the way, gospel means good news, um, is that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried and was and ascended three days later, according to the scriptures. the The good news is that Christ has overcome death through his resurrection, and that his death on the cross was for the sins of the world, as a propitiation and an atonement that propitiates the uh, wrath of God and atones for the sins of the the world, really, for the world. right? That's the good news. Uh, That's not the good news, Walt.
2: God, his heart has to be filled with joy in this new direction.
1: Why? Why does God have to be filled with joy regarding the new direction that the Crystal Cathedral is taking? If we understand correctly what the Crystal Cathedral teaches and confesses, um, God should have no joy whatsoever in what they're doing. He would He would have joy if they would repent of their false doctrine and their false teaching and correctly teach Christ and Him crucified. Right?
2: The hour of power and the Crystal Cathedral. And I want to take you right now to a place that I believe the Apostle Paul, in writing... Romans wanted us to go. Dr. Schuler said it. This is not about building the kingdom of the Schulers. He's
1: going to read a passage from Romans that apparently is about the Crystal Cathedral. Wow. Talk about eisegesis.
2: It is not about building the kingdom of the hour of power. Their ministry is not about building the kingdom of the Crystal Cathedral. It is about building the kingdom of God. And there are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of heaven, there's a kingdom of God, there's a kingdom of the earth. And when the kingdom of heaven breaks through, lives are transformed, people are healed, relationships are reconciled. Not always. There's
1: great passages of Scripture that's talk about people whose marriages were torn apart as a result of one member of a a marriage trusting in Christ and the other one wouldn't. So to say that... uh, relationships are healed because of the kingdom of God coming to someone's life. Actually, it could make someone's life miserable. They might lose their their husband or their wife. Their relationship with their children might be strained. They might, if you're in a Muslim country, and you receive Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and confess Christ as your Lord and Savior... Um, you could lose your life or your parents could have you arrested or, most likely, that what they would probably do is have one of those little funeral services for you because now you're dead to them. How is it that we Americans can so pompously and arrogantly claim in positive Christianity terms that if you become a Christian, God is going to heal relationships? He just might not. They might actually get worse. Take up your cross and follow Christ, and let him work out the details.
2: There's transformation. The world changes. Well, if we promote simply the kingdom of the earth, we're told that that will come to an end. Yes, our church... That doesn't sound very positive. I have a congregation, Community Church of Joy in Phoenix, Arizona... I know it's a, uh, that campus, even though it's a vast campus with a lot of buildings, that's not what it's about. And I tell people, one day this will come to an end. But there are three things that will last. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, faith, hope, and love. How much you want to bet? It's faith, hope, and love.
1: (laughs) Alex Trebek, what is faith,
2: hope, and love? Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. That's right. That was a crystal cathedral for 400 points. And the greatest of these is love. So I want to take moments to... Taken out of context. ...our hearts and minds. On the eighth chapter of Romans, the Word of God is the final authority on everything. As preachers, what we say may be interesting but it is not going to change your life what god has to say will change your life that's why i want to take us for a few moments as as we focus on god's word in romans the 8th chapter beginning with verse 26 and the holy spirit helps us in our weakness
1: <sighs> that's a problem with those positive christianity guys Romans eight starting at verse 26, notice it begins with the word "and <laughs> he says, "And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness. It likewise is the you, know, you can say "and" if you want to likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness notice that he starts off in the middle of a thought do you have any concept of what it is based just on listening to Walt here from the Crystal Cathedral what the rest of that passage is really about and what the preceding thoughts were When the translation he's reading from starts with and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and and the ESV uses the word "likewise." The Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, if you were to walk into a conversation that I was having with John here, right? Say John and I were doing, you know, talking about things that need to happen on the Issues, etc. website, or you know, or we're talking about some programming that's coming up and needs to be put into, you know, into our Pirate Christian Radio software so that it get it gets out and disseminates properly. And if you were to walk in and you heard me say the word. And, John, what I really want to have happen also happen is you would go, oh, I walked into the middle of a conversation and I just missed a whole bunch of stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. So the word and or the word likewise, if you're in the ESV like I am, because, you know, the ESV is a sanctified version and I'm very sanctified. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm talking about myself. <sighs> and So... He's going to read from Romans eight twenty six, and he already said that this has something to do with the Crystal Cathedral and what the direction that God is taking him in. And Romans eight twenty-six begins in the middle of some other thoughts. Context. Remember the three most important things in hermeneutics are context, context, and context. Let me read. Let me back this up. <clears throat> Romans chapter eight, verse eighteen. Maybe I should start at verse (laughs) 1. Let me start at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in all flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to god it does not submit to god's law indeed it cannot do so those who are in the flesh cannot please god I wonder why he left that out we continue You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, oh, that's there's that word again, sin, because uh, the, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the firstfruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? but if we have hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience now all of that provides the context for the next verse which is the one where he started at likewise the spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we uh, to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified." Now there's all of that in context. Okay? Now you since you've heard it in context, you have a far better idea what this passage is all about. Let's see what Walt does with it.
2: There is a great deal of weakness that surrounds us, and this storm stopping faith comes from Jesus Christ. And one of the great passages that remind us of that is Luke, the 8th chapter. So, he just read the one verse? He,
1: he, he read the one verse, and now he's going to Luke? And one day, Jesus said to the
2: disciples, Let's cross to the other side. So, they got into the boat. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon, a fierce storm came on the lake. The boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, Where is your faith? This storm-stopping faith, as Romans tells us, comes from the one who is Lord over nature and Lord over all.
1: Storm-stopping faith? He just read a passage from Luke and basically said that we need to have storm-stopping faith and that that comes from Jesus Christ. It sounds to me like he believes that Jesus' role is to infuse some kind of superhuman faith in you so that you can stop storms. But we don't have storm-stopping faith. We have faith in Jesus Christ. We believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the object, or as Hebrew says, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the object of our faith. Maybe I can be a weatherman. If you have storm-stopping faith, you might be able to go out there and, you know... You know, know, what's funny, though, is is that I think people kind of get this idea. Remember that it was uh, George Bush who caused Katrina to happen. He steered it right into Louisiana. Did you know that? Yeah, but see, if you had storm-stopping faith, then you would have been able to stop George Bush from from destroying uh, New Orleans. It's ridiculous thinking. Folks, here's the deal. He's reading Bible verses, but he's not telling us a darn thing that the Bible says or teaches. You don't read the story about the the disciples in their little boat on the Sea of Galilee and then extrapolate from that that God's calling us to have storm-stopping faith. Is that what the passage really teaches? Did Jesus say, you know, your problem, guys, is that you didn't have enough faith to stop the storm? Or was it, guys, how is it that you have so little faith in me? Because when they went to Jesus, their questions was, Jesus, we're going to die, don't you care? What was Jesus doing in the middle of the storm, sleeping at the back of the boat? Kind of nutsy, huh? There's Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat. They're all afraid they're going to lose their life. They come back to him, Jesus, we're going to drown, don't you care? He quiets the storm and says, where's your faith? Was it that they didn't have enough faith to stop the storm, or or they didn't have enough faith in him? that Jesus loves and cares for them and will protect them even when he seems like he's asleep.
2: His name is Jesus Christ. And he, Paul goes on to write, For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Have you ever cried so hard that you can't even get the words out? Last night at the airport, coming in, there was a woman sobbing and sobbing. She put her luggage down, and my wife and I went over and we held her, and she was unable to even articulate what was going on inside. And God knows there are times in our life through the economy, through family crises, through illness, pain and suffering. He tells us when our groanings are so great that words cannot be expressed. The Holy Spirit, which is a person, our advocate. Jesus said, I'm going to heaven. I'll send you an advocate. I'll send you one who is the greatest possibility thinker who ever lived.
1: The Holy Spirit is the greatest possibility thinker who ever lived. Is this some kind of a cult? No, I, I'm serious in asking this question. Is this some kind of a cult? Because the, the verse that he's referencing is found um, in John chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. If not, I'll read it for you, so don't have to worry. Okay. <laughs> John chapter 16, starting at verse 5, so we get a little context. Jesus says, But now I'm going to sit to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Does he say he's going to send him as a possibility thinker? No. Let's read the verse in context. Verse 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and I will and you will not see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Let me back this up just ever so slightly.
2: Times in our life, through the economy, through family crises, through illness, pain, and suffering, he tells us when our groanings are so great, words cannot be expressed. The Holy Spirit, which is a person, our advocate. Jesus said, I'm going to heaven. I'll send you an advocate. I'll send you one who is the greatest possibility thinker who ever lived, his name is Jesus. He not only prays for us, he answers our prayers. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Weird, he kind of switches subjects there in the middle of the thought. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and who's the greatest possibility thinker, but Jesus is the one who prays for us, yet Romans says that it's the Holy Spirit that does. Dude, you just get the feeling these guys in the Crystal Cathedral have no concept of what the Bible actually teaches. You know, they would do far better, far, far better to just open up the book and start reading and do no commentary. Just let God's Word speak for itself naked, so to speak. People would get far more from that than what they're currently getting here. Um, let's continue.
2: Greater deal than that. Our Heavenly Father tells us look, when you can't pray, I'll pray. And I'm the one who answers the prayer. So, even though you don't know what's best, I'll pray what's best. Even though you don't know what the future holds, I do. I know what's in the future. And I'll be there arranging the best for you. And even though you don't know what pleases me, we don't know in our human limitation what will please the heart of God. Our Heavenly Father tells us, I'll pray that way in order that that will be fulfilled. Isn't that good news? That is wonderful news.
1: It ain't the real good news. It's weird interpretation of something that he's calling good news.
2: This is the greatest passage of prayer in the New Testament, I believe. What a powerful word. And then he goes on and he tells us, And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony. It's the synergy and uh, the ultimate good that God has in store for us. He loves to give good gifts to his children. It's in harmony with God's will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them.
1: Right, that's everyone who loves God. And um, it's not like Jesus works at a hotel. (laughs) Yeah. Um, God works good for everyone who loves him, and you only love him by faith. This isn't good news for everybody. It's only good news for Christians, those who have repented and trusted in Christ. This guy's talking about storm-stopping faith, which is different than biblical faith in Christ.
2: So there's storm-stopping faith, and there's also life-giving hope. And God promises us that not all things turn out good.
1: But well, that's not very positive. I thought he was a possibility thinker.
2: He tells us here that all things, if you'll let me... Be in charge. All things will make you more and more like me in every way. Your thought life, your relationships, your actions, your decisions. God wants us to become more and more like Him and that's what He's saying. That's funny. That's exactly what Rick Warren says. Saying, let me make you more like me in all the fires and all that you go through. Let me make you more like me. And I had a woman share with me this last week actually jesus says come die i'm gonna kill you
1: it's gonna be painful you might suffer yeah Yeah. (laughs) always look on the bright side of life
2: that yes there's a recession but her family has decided not to participate she said, there's great hope. So she went out shopping. She said, well, I'm not
1: sure. Oh, there we go. There's possibility thinking for you. I've heard there's a great recession. You know what I've decided to do? I'm not going to participate, so I'm going to go shopping.
2: That's <laughs> easier. But what God wants us to know is that there is life-giving hope in Him. He is Lord over the recession. And He holds our future. And then he goes on. That is good news. Isn't that good news? See? Jesus is Lord over the recession. Did you talk to Obama about that? He's the Messiah, you know. And then Paul goes on for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among his brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So- How did he give us right standing there, Walt?
1: Does his cross have anything to do with it? Why, why would we need to have, be given right standing with God? Is it because by nature we're sinners and we don't have a right standing with God? I mean, here you are reading this passage, and there's some pretty big implications for possibility thinkers here that would just rattle their brains out.
2: Offers you, he offers you that which is life-giving, not only abundant life today, but eternal life forever.
1: (laughs) Jesus is offering me abundant life today. Gosh, if I had a, a dollar for every time I heard this, I would be a very,
2: very wealthy man. And then these powerful words, and I end today with these words. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us?
1: Is that in Romans 8? Hang on a second here. (laughs) Proof text. uh, My uh, my proof texting radar just went off. God is for us. Oh, it is in Romans eight. Okay, so it's at the tail end of the chapter. Hang on a second here. I want to see the context. Uh, Oh yeah. Well, it's. Let's see. So it's in verse thirty one. Okay, there it is. Okay, so what shall we say then? These things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God is who is to condemn. Christ is the one who died. More than that, who rose uh, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of of Christ shall so tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or maybe I put, or recession Hmm. notice he's just pulling
2: that verse, and he's not really teaching it in context. stay with me, God is for me. Did you just say that? God is for me, he is. He's not only for you, he's with you. He is beside you, he's above you, he's around you, he's in, in your hearts. Since he did not spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? And the one who died on the cross, who shed his blood. Oh, well, there we go, good stuff here. We got, we got some gospel talk. you and for me, he offers us that world-changing love. Hmm.
1: Done on the cross for you and me and offers us world-changing love. What's that? What's world-changing love? Can you point that out in a
2: Bible passage? Sin-stained cross had the blood-stained love of Jesus Christ wash us clean. Being a Christian isn't about stopping our suffering. It's about being able to have one who has suffered, who knows how to handle it, who will carry us through, and one day he will set us free.
1: One who, who has suffered and knows how to handle it? Jesus has suffered and knows how to handle it? Didn't he suffer for us? You see, this is one of those things where, just in listening, that's, by the way, the end of the sermon, Okay. You know, there we are at the tail end of it there. Um what we're dealing with here is 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 a sermon that twists scripture out of context, uses similar words, uses some gospel talk, but then redefines what that means as far as how it plays out. World-changing love? John, do you have any world-changing love inside of you? No. I somehow missed that line. Right before we came to Earth, here you are supposed to stand in different lines. I missed the whole line about the world-changing love part. Anyway, I th- I think we've about done that to death. Anyway, all right. So that was quite a show we did today. <laughs> we talked about the Messiah Obama. Read some, heard about those poor people who the end of the world didn't happen according to what they wrote in their day planner. So- and now we've got world-changing love and storm-stopping faith from the folks at the Crystal Cathedral. It's also relevant. If you'd like to email me and complain about the fact that I said something negative about somebody who is into positive Christianity, please do so at talkback at TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com. Until next time, God bless you.